we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Man, it is good to be with you in worship. Man, what a delight to sing together the praises of God. I, I don't know about you, um, but one of the highlights of my week is the privileges of us um, as brothers and sisters to be together and to sing songs of praise together and to listen to the Word of God together. I, I hope that gives you a lot of joy. My name is Danny. I'm the pre preaching pastor here in Lagos, our contemporary worship gathering. And so if you're new with us today, thank you for being with us. Um, we want you to know, and hopefully you feel welcomed in this place. Um, we do ask a favor. Um, if you are new, and if you're new online, still worshiping with us at home, we would love for you to let us know that you're here. And the easiest way to do that is by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. So I'll give you permission to do that now even. Um, but let us know uh, that you were here and let me just remind you, uh, we are in what we call a reverse series. It's just a fancy name um, that means that we are all connected as a church family in the same passage every week in the Word of God. And in the past 12 weeks, we've been marching through the last portion of First Chronicles, and then we have been through the first chapters of Second Chronicles, and we're about to wrap up. This is our uh, one, we have our second to last week. We have one more week after this. And so if you're with us for the very first time, just know that, that we have been on this path in Second Chronicles for 12 weeks now. And I'm going to do my best to catch you up uh, uh, as best I can uh, so you kind of know where we are today. But it is a joy as a church family uh, for us to be literally on the same page together every week as we are reading that passage of Scripture on our own. Uh, throughout the week as we are in Bible study with one another um, in that same text and then receiving it through preaching. It is a good thing that we do that together. And so, uh, like I mentioned, uh, we're about to wrap up, and today we find ourselves in Second Chronicles chapter 9. Last week we were in the end of chapter 7, so we've skipped a chapter and now we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, and please stand with me. We're going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 5 through 8. She exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact... I had not heard the half of your great wisdom. It is far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne as king to rule for him. Because God loves Israel and desires this kingdom to last forever. He has made you king over them so that you can rule with justice and righteousness. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, Lord, 
this is your word, so we need your help. Uh, we need your spirit to bring things literally to light to us so that we can know who you are and how we ought to live in this world as your church. So bless it. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. And so just by way of reminder, those who are the immediate recipients of this written document, Chronicles, are exiles. Uh, They have recently returned out of exile. They have recently returned to Jerusalem. And the chronicler, who we lovingly call, the chronicler has put to paper um, portions of the history of Israel for these people to receive and be in Encouraged. And so uh, the, those who have received this written word are generations removed from the events that are being written about, okay? So it's important for us to kind of frame it in that way, to ask the question, how is this word written in this time about past events, about a king long ago, an important king in Israel? How is it to bring encouragement and hope to a people who have returned to Jerusalem that is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, how might this bring encouragement? And that is the chronicler's aim. And so what we find in this chapter 9 is a remarkable yet simple story. Simple story. So Solomon has been reigning a little over 20 years. Um, He has initiated... Four years after his reign, the greatest building project Israel had ever known, uh, the temple, uh, which would become symbolic of God's presence among his people, uh, where his name would reside and where they could call upon the name of the Lord. He also would build his palace, literally right next door. And so he had these significant building pro- uh, projects, not to mention uh, Solomon is, has become renowned because of his political and economic prowess in the region. He has made literally a name for himself. He has built alliances with people all around him and has uh, made the most out of those alliances. And the wealth of the kingdom and influence of the kingdom has expanded. And so we know because of chapter 9 that a queen in the region began to get word of this great king and this great kingdom. And it was unavoidable because of the expanse and influence of Israel at this point. That not only he had made a name for himself, but he had to be reckoned with because of his economic and political prowess. And so Solomon and the kingdom of Israel is on her radar. And she has heard incredible things about his wisdom, right? God promised Solomon because Solomon asked, give me wisdom, This is a fulfillment of God's promise that Solomon indeed is a wise king. He knows a lot, and he is wise, and so she has heard about his renown and his wisdom, and so she gets word, and so she puts together a caravan, and she begins her trek most likely in modern-day Yemen, which is about 1,400 miles southwest on the Arabian Peninsula. She travels a long way with a caravan full of gifts, bringing them to the kingdom, to Solomon, gifts of gold, jewels, and fine spices. She's astounded by his wisdom. When she arrives and brings her court with her, she spends time with Solomon, and the word of God tells us that she asks him 
every question and everything that's on her mind and heart, and she's astounded by his astute responses. There is nothing that Solomon is unable or ill-equipped to answer. And she just runs him through the gamut to test him and to measure him and to make sure, man, does he really add up to his renown that has made himself known throughout the region. And she comes away saying, wow, he is as every bit and more than what has been described of him in the region. Furthermore, we know that she was also mesmerized and amazed by his palace and the way that his officials dressed and the kind of food they ate. I mean, she was just like in awe of this kingdom and its splendor. And then there was the temple. She was amazed at the the faithfulness of the king and the people of God to give burnt offerings in the temple to their God. And out of this amazement and wonder of this kingdom, what does she do? What does she do? Well, it tells us in verse 8. Let me read that. It says, we've already read it, praise the Lord your God. Praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne as king to rule for him. Praise the Lord. Now, obviously, she's probably trying to figure out a way to build an alliance uh, with this king. She's understanding that, man, it will give her and her kingdom uh, a nudge in in the area if she were to build alliance with this person. But notice, she's still giving praise to the Lord their God and giving praise to God as he has blessed and given good things to this kingdom because of their faithfulness at this point. As it should be, right? As it should be. That's exactly what should be happening among the people of Israel, among a wise and faithful king. That's what should be taking place. And so minus all the cracks in the king's armor, The chronicler really avoids talking about these cracks. They're kind of alluded to. We know at this point he's already making some alliances that won't really benefit the kingdom in the long run, uh, will send him down a a wrong path. Uh, But nonetheless, there is a reason that this story is here, just two chapters removed from chapter 7. Now remember with me, what does God say to the people of Israel, in particular to Solomon, what does he say in verse 20 of chapter 7, 19 and 20? But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the decrees and commands I've given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot the people from this land that I've given them. I will reject this temple that I've made holy to honor my name. I will make it an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. That ultimately would be fulfilled. But for those who are receiving this word, these who have returned out of exile are reminded once again through the testimony of this story in in 2 Chronicles chapter 9 that the potential of the purpose of God in the people of Israel. That they would be a beacon and bright light, not just to immediate neighbors, but to the nations. That through their faithfulness and their obedience to the commands of the Lord, that they would draw attention to the goodness of God. In fact, these were a special people, right? 
Uh, These were a special people that God had made a covenant with them, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And that that through their faithfulness and obedience, that they would be the, the, the grandest, greatest Super Bowl ad in the ancient world. Right? That they would draw attention to who God is and what he has done and the fulfilling of his promises through their faithful obedience to him. Did y'all know that this past year, um, it cost roughly $5.5 million for a 30-second ad in the Super Bowl? I mean, it's pretty common knowledge now. Why is that? Why is that? Because companies know that if they can purchase airtime for a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl, and now even before the Super Bowl, because they put them all on YouTube, if they know that, they know that, and they invest in that because they know the whole world's going to see. Literally, the whole world is going to see those ads, those 30-second ads. Well, one of the purposes and potential for the kingdom of God, through the faithfulness of his people, is to be that incredible display for all the world to see that God is good, that God is good, and he has made a way for the families and nations of the world to know him and know his goodness. For those returning to Jerusalem after exile, this story of the queen of Sheba's praise for God reminded them that once again, this city could become the brightest beacon in the world. It could be us. It could be this city again. If we're faithful, if we don't follow after other gods, if we don't make uh, unwise alliances with other nations, if we make God front and center to all that we say and do, then we can restore this city and the luster of the city so much so that we can draw attention to this God who has made us his own. A bright billboard of the goodness of God, as it should be, as it should be. The kingdom of God should draw attention to the goodness of God. As it should be. It has always been God's purpose to draw the nations to himself, to fill the earth with his glory. If you go to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, uh, listen to these verses. Of course, this was written a little before uh, Second Chronicles, but listen to this. Arise, Jerusalem. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth. But the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All the nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. The heartbeat of God has always been from the very beginning when he made that initial initial covenant with Abraham that you will be a blessing for all the families of the earth. The heartbeat of God has always been to draw attention to who he is and his radiance and beauty through his blessing and fulfilling of promises to his people. It's always been the case that that was God's heart and desire. And so while that promise and purpose was not fulfilled ultimately through Jerusalem, 
or the physical temple, it would be fulfilled by a new Jerusalem, a new temple, the church. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. And instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise, just like the Queen of Sheba, everyone will praise your Father in heaven. That's been God's heart. And ultimately, the church is the fulfillment of that promise and purpose that God has for his people. And that potential and purpose became a reality when? On the day of Pentecost. The day the church was born. The Spirit of God was no longer descending upon a tent like the tabernacle. It was no longer descending and filling the temple with cloud and smoke and fire. The Spirit of God was now descending into the very hearts of men and women who had repented and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And it would be those people filled with the Spirit of God that would be radiant lights, not just on their own, but together in a broken and hurting and sinful world that had rejected God. To be that incredible, eternal, Super Bowl ad of ads that says, our God is seeking to redeem a broken world. I want you to listen to the Apostle Peter when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and then verse 9. Listen to the language that he uses. He says, and you are living stones. He's talking to the church. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Not a building anymore, but his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And then in verse 9, for you are a chosen people. By what similar language with the people of Israel? What chosen people you are, the church. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful, say it with me, light. Light. That's who we are as the church. We are called as his people into his glorious light to be light, not to be covered up, but to be like a light on a hill, a city on a hill. More than ever, the church is positioned to be the light of the world, to tell the story of God's goodness in Jesus. We all know this too well. We live in an incredibly broken and hurting world. 
We have marriages that are struggling beyond what we can see. We, have, we live in a confused world that is wrestling with who we are, what's my identity. Uh, we have violence upon violence across the nations and even our own nation itself. We have a, a hurting and broken world. Our world is, is full of women at the well that are longing for something to, to quench their thirst. We have, we have streets full of Ethiopian eunuchs who are longing for someone just to tell them the word of God and help them understand God's word. And yes, I acknowledge we do live in a world that hates and rejects Jesus. But our world is full of people that are longing to see the light of Jesus in his church. Longing to see the light of Jesus in his church. Longing to see the light of Jesus uh, among families in our communities that profess to know and follow after God. Our, Our world is desperate for those kind of people, those kind of families, that kind of church. And so we have to really ask ourselves some powerful questions as his church and his people. Will we shine? Will I shine? Will my family shine? Will my family be a billboard of the goodness and blessing of God that I have through Jesus? Or will I just reprioritize all other stuff and find myself captivated, enamored, held down by a lot of other different things. It's never intentional. I don't think Solomon set out to be an unfaithful king. I don't think Solomon began his reign thinking, I'm going to worship other gods. I'm going to give myself away. But it was those small little alliances along the way, the alliances that he gave himself to others and tried to build his wealth based upon what others could promise him rather than God. And along the way, these just little creeping steps, before we know it, we find ourselves and our families beholden to all other kinds of stuff. Schedules. You name it. We're all guilty of that. Will we shine? Will you shine? Will we be enamored with political conspiracies or with the gospel of Jesus? Gosh, the enemy will use whatever he can to pull his people away from what really matters. Loving our neighbor and speaking truth and being light to the people who are desperate to hear it and see it. Will will we be more ambitious to form alliances or live the gospel? Church, who will we be? It cannot be business as usual for us. Worship and and being in the word of God can't be just an add-on when we choose to do it. We can't just be the church when it's suitable for us. When we can fit it in. Will we shine? What an opportunity. 
our world is looking and clawing for something. Will they find what they need in us? And you. We're going to move into a time of response, and I just want you to be honest with yourself. Do you need to rearrange the priorities in your life and family? Do you need to begin to creep and work back from the steps that you have been taken to, and to write the direction of yourself or your family or even this church? Do we need to begin once again to live out the gospel of Jesus recognizing the hurting and desperate people around us? What steps do you need to make today? This altar is open. You can come and pray. If you're like me, you probably need to just ask the Lord for forgiveness. Like Solomon, you've made too many other alliances. Or you may need to come to faith in Jesus for the first time today, the light of the world through whom we have forgiveness and restoration of the, uh, with, with God and who is the greatest need that our world has, redemption. Maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus for the first time. You can let us know. You can go on that app and fbcsa.org slash connect. You can say, I put my faith and trust in Christ today, or you can just let me know right now. There are a number of people in the room that would love to hear that you're putting your faith in Jesus. Church, let's shine. Let's shine. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we needed that reminder from Queen, the Queen of Sheba today that the nations and our neighbors need to see the goodness and glory of God through your people. So by your grace and by the power of your spirit, Lord, I pray that you reorient and reorient hearts and lives today. My brothers and sisters in this room that have gone down paths that they know they don't belong. Help them to return, to trust in your word and to listen to your voice and obey you once again. Lead us to a place of repentance. Lord, for that person who has never put their faith and trust in you, Lord, I pray that they see your son high lifted up today and that they would come to faith in him and know forgiveness of sin and restoration with you so they too might shine. Lord, we need you every hour. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.